Hey, this is David Naughton, and you're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. Welcome to the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Tate Steinsick, puppet designer and effects artist for Puppet Master, Littlest Reich, and a bunch of other cool stuff. That's streaming right now on Shudder. It's very cool to have you here. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So, I guess, first of all, how did you get involved in uh, Puppet Master, Littlest Reich? Well, the uh, it was a... a a, a string of a lot of different connections, oddly enough. It was, you know, I lived in New York for over 10 years and I was repped by a company called <clears throat> Caliber Media. And uh, the, um, so I didn't even realize that at one point Dallas was actually my boss because I was repped by Caliber Media. Uh, but, you know, I had an agent, so I never dealt with Dallas directly. Uh, and then you fast forward, you know, 10 years in the future. Uh, you know, I'm living in Oklahoma and apparently he's left New York as well. And he moved to Texas. And then my agent who, uh, moved on to Gersh hit me up and said, you know, there's a guy in Texas that you should really make contact with. Um, so she gave me Dallas's number and we sort of reacquainted and realized that, you know, we'd been connected, uh, you know, very closely with one degree of separation for a long time. So it was really weird. We just kind of hit it off. You know, he's a real horror, you know, gore hound like me. So, uh, you know, everything we started talking about, we just hit it off. And uh, and then he asked me one day, he was like, you know, we've got this thing called Puppet Master coming up. Ever heard of it? I'm like, have I heard of Puppet Master? Are you fucking kidding me? Of course. <laughs> yeah, let's do this. So, um, you know, he he said, you know, we're going to change the designs and, you know, we're, we're going to be obviously, uh, you know, faithful and, and respectful of the world, but we're going to, you know, give our own sort of twist on things. So, uh, you know, it was a really cool proposition, you know, take something as, you know, as uh, as well known and, and sort of revered as these puppet master characters and designs and, and get to play with them. It was sort of a dream job. Yeah. So who who is your favorite puppet uh, before you go into the into the movie? As a kid, um, you know, and that's uh, <laughs> so I, I'd have to say I'm a pretty hardcore Torch fan. I mean, I. Don't get me wrong. I've been Blade for Halloween many times as a teenager, and and you know, so I, I'm an all-around fan. But if I if I had to pick one to uh, to fight on their team, it would have to be Torch. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty awesome. So I assume you're uh, you were a fan of the Puppet Master series. Were you? Did you in? Uh, were you a fan of like all the Full Moon movies? Which I saw that you're doing a remake of Castle Freak. So I assume so. Oh man, yeah, Castle Freak is well. Castle Freak was one of my favorite films, just in general, not even like a full moon thing. When I was a kid, I found Castle Freak at the uh, at the video store, and I think the first thing that caught me was was the two the contrasting fonts. You know, the 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 very sterile and cold sort of you know hard castle font, and then mm-hmm. the loose, almost like graffiti like sort of ripped freak, and and you know it's it just 
conjured all of these, you know, weird different thoughts. And so I picked up the box and I looked at it and I see this weird, you know, snaggletooth creature. And anyway, it, it became, you know, one of my favorite films as a kid. It's an extremely dark film, especially for Full Moon, because, you know, I, I knew who Full Moon was at the time because I was a fan of the Puppet Master stuff. So you, you sort of mm -hmm. think that, you know, you're going to get something that's infused with comedy when you think Full Moon. You know, I'd seen Shrunken mm -hmm. Heads and I'd seen you know, all of these amazing full moon films. So I get Castle Freak and I wasn't ready for it as a kid. Like it really twisted me up. So, um, uh, you know, the, the fact that I'm now directing a, a reboot on it uh, so many years later, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's equally as crazy as getting to redesign the puppets from Puppet Master. You know what I mean? It's like my, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm suddenly, uh, I'm suddenly like a 12 year old kid again, living as an adult. It's, it's a pretty surreal and wonderful uh, experience. Yeah. So when you're uh, creating the the original puppets again, redesigning them, um, how do you about, how do you go about doing that? And like, how are how are they made for the movie? Are they like the actual size compared to the people? No, the uh, I mean the puppets are yeah I mean it, it, in Zoller's script it called out for the you know they sort of vary between eight inches and like twelve to fourteen inches and you know in some cases we went a little bit bigger than that just because you can get you know better details with a little more scale. So we, um, you know, most of them were like 12 to 16 inches tall. And, um, you know, we just created, I mean, it, it was a real labor of necessity. You know, it's, there's always a crunch of time. There's always a, you know, a fast turnaround and, um, you know, wh whatever budgetary things you're dealing with. And, you know, so it was, you know, what can we make this for as good as possible and as quickly as possible? So the, the sort of uh, school of thought, that I adopted for this project was um, I'm going to, to treat most of these puppets with a, a digital sculpture, which mm -hmm. in this world makes a lot of sense to me because if you don't have the time to like sit there and perfect and articulate a sculpt that is, you know, symmetrical and, you know, has that toy like quality, if you rush through it, it's not going to look like, you know, uh, something that's carved out of wood or hammered out of metal or, you know, uh, the different materials that these puppets, uh, puppets are supposed to be made of. So uh, we opted to, to go with digital sculpture because that way we could 3D print them and, and really literally finesse the symmetry on everything. And then we uh, printed everything out and refined things and added details and remolded them, and that was sort of our, our process. Uh, and as far as the bodies, you know, we had various different bodies. We had some animatronic bodies, you know, servo-driven and RC-driven, and, you know, we had some cable control stuff. But most of the puppets in the film were rod or hand puppeteered. Mm -hmm. So how about for uh, for the new puppets you see in the movie? Like, uh, do you do you get any guidelines for that, or is it just how, whatever you want to make? As far as the new designs? Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I worked really tightly with uh, with Dallas and the writer, uh, uh, Zoller, he, uh, you know, Zoller's a, a madman and he's a madman in, in the best of ways, uh, as far as working with a writer or director from an effects artist perspective, because, you know, generally you get, uh, a director that, you know, they have a concept of what they want, but they haven't visualized it because visualizing like literal visualization of the concept isn't what they do. They, you know, they create the, the world and it's up to the concept artist to, to create the creature that lives in it. So, 
Um, you know, the, the great thing about Zoller is he knows exactly what he wants to see. Um, he'll tell you, <laughs> this is, I want nuts and bolts here. I, I want this sort of color with that patina. I want, you know, think about, you know, this in reference, you know, 1940s something Germany, a gas tank, and, you know, like all of these very specific references. And so it's great. You know, there's no, uh, you know, it, it, everything is transparent. I know exactly what they wanted to see. So I would go into a design process of just illustrating and, you know, some of the designs we, we nailed in one, and some of them, you know, took 20 tries. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, it was uh, it's always a fun process. The design process is one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Is it better for you as a designer if someone is like that, more hands-on, and, you know, explains what they're looking for as opposed to not really having idea what they want, and you kind of have to do it all, all out of your own? Well, you know, there, there's, there's risk and reward in, in either side of that, but you know, the, uh -huh. the only thing that you just definitely don't want is is the director that doesn't know what they want because then you're, <laughs> right. it's it's your burden to bear, like, to work really hard to present them with the look. And then they go, yeah, no, I don't want that at all. And then you work really hard to present them with another look. And they're like, yeah, I like that, except not any of that. And, you know, what does that mean? You know, can you be more specific? You know, um, so, you know, it's a lot of directors will tell you, uh, you know, they'll look at your stuff and say, yeah, that's what I don't want. But, uh, so, you know, it's always nice when you have a director that is, there's a lot of clarity. It's like, yeah, this is specifically what I want to see. Here is a list mm -hmm. of references. Um, have at it. Yeah. So did you, did you do Udo Kier's makeup? I did, uh, myself and my, uh, my uh, my key on that film uh, was a, a great makeup artist by the name of Ian Cromer. He's a, a Los Angeles guy, and uh, you know he and I have worked together on several uh, Fangoria and Cinestate films. But uh, yeah, he and I double teamed that makeup, and um, you know that one that that one turned out really good. It was really great, especially yeah. you know the before and after because you know Udo didn't shave his head for that. He had a full head of hair. He had a full mustache, and you know uh, there, that was probably like an eight or ten piece prosthetic um uh series so you know there was a lot of makeup going into that character yeah what was he like to to work with because i assume you have to spend a lot of time with him uh, when you're putting on the makeup yeah i mean um i mean it's uh <laughs> udo is one of a kind man he's uh -huh. um I, I mean he's constantly like he lives his life like he's on stage everywhere he goes, even if he's the only one in the room, you know, it's almost like yeah. uh, how you might imagine Elton John walking around his house, just waving <laughs> to the uh, adoring masses at all times. But he's a, he's an absolute looney tune in the best kind of way. Um, I love uh -huh. the guy and uh, you know, I hope I get to work with him again soon, but you know, he's great for the makeup because he's got so many stories, you know, he'll just sit there and tell you stories for hours. Uh, and he and I have some common friends, uh, out of New York, uh, that go all the way back to like, you know, the, the, um, the Warhol days. And, you know, um, one of my good friends was, uh, one of Warhol's guys at the factory and, and Udo actually knew oh. him. So, you know, it was, it was cool, man. Um, he's, he's a very approachable and, and fun to be around guy. We, we actually mm -hmm. went out to a couple of conventions together, one in New Orleans in specific and, uh, had a really good time. It's hard to keep up with yeah. that guy. For for a man in his seventies, that guy can get down. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I've been around him with, at some conventions that you know I've been uh, at, and uh, I don't want to say anything about. But yeah, he he's uh, uh, he drank a whole <laughs> bottle of Tito's vodka at one uh, convention I was at from for in like one day. 
It was, it was pretty yeah, impressive. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, no, he's, um, he's got a, um, he's got a healthy bladder for his age. He can still put him back <laughs> just fine. <laughs> uh, did you work on Barbara Crampton? Uh, I did minimally, you know, the, the only stuff that we did with Barbara was, you know, she, her character got smashed in the face with a, a cinder block and, you know, so we had to deal with a broken nose and, you know, keeping blood continuity and stuff like that on her. So, oh, well, well actually, I take that back. She also did get stabbed in the throat. Um, so there was that, too. Um, but, no, I mean, Barbara's great. In fact, Barbara's one of my producers on um, on the Castle Freak uh, reboot oh, that we're oh, doing. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, Barbara and I work together multiple times a week. We're talking or, uh, you know, uh, conferencing or something about the upcoming project. So, yeah, she's great. Yeah. When is that uh, due to come out? You know, because I, I was I was a huge fan of hers when I was a kid. So again, just to be like talking to Barbara on a weekly basis yeah. is just <laughs> one of those what the hell moments. Yeah, it's uh, she's one of my favorites. I mean, Reanimator is one of my favorite movies, and then it's really cool to see uh, her uh, later in life do like she's had a lot of great roles in the last like five years or so. And yeah, we are still there. Yeah, we still yeah. here and. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's, awesome. she's she's been killing it, and she has a lot of good stuff coming too. Yeah. So, how far along is the uh, Castle Freak reboot? Well, right now, um, we are we're anticipating shooting later this year, sometime in the summer. And you know, there's not uh, not too much I can really give away about it. Um, you know, everything is is pretty shrouded in secrecy with this project for good reason. We've got a lot of uh, insane and um, and fantastic surprises uh, for the fans out there. But um, I, what I can say is we are talking to some cream of the crop sort of talent and, uh, and our script um, from writer Kathy Charles is, I could not be more pleased with it. It's absolutely terrifying. And uh, it just really breathes life back into, you know, that desire. As a kid, I always wanted to see more Lovecraft, always more Lovecraft. That's why I love Stuart Gordon. Gordon. That's why I watched all of this stuff because this guy knew Lovecraft and he understood that this is like the root of real horror. This is like real true American horror. And you know, the, the opportunity, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that Castle Freak is, is an HP Lovecraft story originally called the outsider, or that's the, the name of the story that Castle Freak was based on um, rather. But um, you know, so having that opportunity to say, well, hell let's, let's, you know, bl- blow the doors wide open and let's welcome Lovecraft back into this, you know, cinematic realm. Um, I could not be more excited. And uh, yeah, we, we have some real surprises for you guys. It's going to be good. Yeah. I'm very, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, Lovecraft like uh, has been throughout like the history of, of movies, but it does seem like it's kind of like it goes in and out. Like uh, there was a time they made a, a bunch of them, like in the late seventies, early eighties, and it seems to uh, uh, more of them lately in the last few years. Yeah, you know, man, it's there are certain weird caveats out there in horror, and it's like it's like werewolves and Clive Barker and and H.P. Lovecraft. It's like nobody can get any of that stuff right. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Like, uh, very, very, very rarely does anybody get that stuff right. Um, you know, uh, Stuart Gordon was one of the rare few, and, you know, American World in London was one of the rare few, and, you know, uh, th- there's always people that break through, you know, they can, can do something with it. Midnight Meat Train with Bradley Cooper, that was probably mm-hmm. a better example of a Clive Barker story illustrated. But as a whole, there's, you know, it's just one of those weird things, and I don't get it. Um, 
But that being said, I think now is the time that people like myself, my age group, people that, you know, sort of, uh, you know, grew up on this stuff and, and grew up with the look and the feel of the 80s, uh, you know, like movies like uh, Mandy recently, uh, Pano's Cosmatos. Yeah. I mean, that, that guy is a beast, man. And mm -hmm. it's the perfect time for films like that because, you know, we're all in our late 30s and 40s now. And, you know, and it, we're, we're hitting that age where, you know, a little nostalgia isn't such a bad thing. This world is getting so absolutely unrecognizable you know, fuck it, let's sit down and watch a VHS tape, you know? Um, uh, so, you know, it's just, it's the right time for us to all come together and, and make these, you know, sort of reminiscent films that we always wanted to see as a kid. And uh, the fun thing is, is we can actually make it look like they came from that era too. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good time to be a filmmaker in horror, in my opinion. I think it's back pretty strong. Yeah. It's a good time to, to, to be a, a viewer because, uh, I'm glad, you know, Mandy found its audience because it is such a bizarre film. Uh, and uh, But I, I absolutely loved it. I, I know some people don't like the beginning and they like the end, but I like the whole thing. I like the slow build and all the weirdness of the beginning and then the total insanity at the end. And it all works for me. Uh, well, it's it's all very on purpose. And people that I like this part, I don't like that part. Well, you've already lost the battle. You already don't get it. You know, you don't take a movie in parts. You, you take the film or you don't take it at all. It's it's a fantastic movie for the people that it's intended for everyone else, you know, like, you know, fish head soup is a very specific flavor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Some people love it. Everybody else would probably throw up if you offered them some, you know, so it, it's not an indication as to quality or lack of quality. It's a specific, specific, you know, type of people that that film was made for. And that's why I love him as a director because he doesn't say, okay, here's an opportunity for me to work with, you know, an actor of the caliber of Nicolas Cage, let me let me do something that I'm sure to make a shitload of money. No, he does the exact opposite. He says, let me take this fucking epic, you know, once-in-a-lifetime talent and let me put him in, like, a late-night 70s sort of, you know, creature feature, hammer horror sort of, you know, picture show, and, and let's see what he does with that. And it was absolutely genius. You know, and now, in fact, you know, the, the big circle of the story is now... Um, you know, uh, uh, Nicholas Cage is doing a Lovecraft film uh, with that mm -hmm. same company, with the company that produced Mandy. So, um, you know, it's uh, yeah, like I said, man, it's the right time. There's something cosmic happening, and that's a uh, that's not a Lovecraft pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just uh, back to Mandy real quick. I love the. It's almost like in the middle with the Bill Duke scene, where it's kind of like the lull between uh, when things just go totally insane and. There's like a hinted at a backstory exactly. with him that they must know each other, but it's never explained. And uh, I just love, I love everything about the movie, honestly. Yeah, the same. Well, see, I was a big fan of uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow as well. I thought that that was an absolute masterpiece, you know. Um, it was, uh, and, and again, it was the same thing. Uh, people like it, they don't like it, you know, whatever. But it's, it's. I admire filmmakers that, that don't bend to the dollar. And, and you know, it's, it's a rough road, man, because, you know, you, you got to pay your bills. But, you know, so ever so often there's, you know, artists like Panos that come along and say, you know, fuck everything and I'm going to make a piece of art. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's always been sort of my mentality as well. And that's also how I'm treating Castle Freak, man. This is not a it's not going to be your <laughs> your average creature feature. There's a mm -hmm. there's a lot of beautiful things happening with this film. I'm looking forward to that. I think it was last year I actually interviewed uh, Hiroshi Katagiri's uh, effects artist. And he talked about the first movie he worked on was Castle Freak. 
and he didn't do a lot in it, but he like made the 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 prosthetic balls for the castle freak, and uh, it was a, <laughs> and so it was like he was telling, and like he told his parents that hey, you know the, the first thing I'm doing is making you know balls for this movie, so it was very funny. What a wonderful first job on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> That's the crazy thing about uh, the the skills of special effect man, like. Like just for example, I uh, I interviewed and hired uh, a new guy for my my shop the other day, and I was like, "So what'd you do before this?" And he was like, "Yeah, I made uh, I made dildos." I'm like, "Oh, good. <laughs> so so you understand silicone casting, two part mold making?" I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm like you're hired." So you, you never know, guys. If, you, if you're out there and then you're you're stuck in a, a go nowhere career of dildo construction, uh, <laughs> give me a call. I've got some uh, some positions open. <laughs> I will get the word out because I know many dildo. Yeah, please, please do send right. out some emails for me, please. <laughs> yeah. So I, <laughs> I know you made uh, shorts before. Will this be your first feature? Uh, this is this is the first feature that I've directed. I I can say I've directed. I've, I mean, I'm credited as director on a previous feature, but it was you know in no way mine. Um, you know, it was more so. Uh, <laughs> just you know, yelling action and cut, and then turning the footage over. Um, but um, this is the first time that, from concept through delivery, like this was you know my passion project. I'm I'm my visuals are being you know uh, honored and 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 uh, and turned into something real. You know, it's um it's such a blessing, and that's why I love Fangoria and, and Cinestate so much. Is you know, we, we've worked together on so many films. Uh, well, actually, it's not even a lot. That's the even speaks more highly to them. We've done four films together, and I've managed in that time to, like, to show them my, you know, how intense I am with with visuals and, and my concepts and the ways that I develop things to the, you know, to the tune of them trusting me to, to direct a film for them. And, um, you know, so they, they're great people. It's a great company, and they have a great strategy and sort of philosophy about filmmaking. You know, if uh, if you're going to piss some people off, then you're probably making the right film because that's what film is there for. It's to to instigate thought and instigate reaction. You know, so um, you know, and and that's exactly the opposite of the first film that I did. It could have very easily fallen, you know, silently into a Lifetime Channel sort of rotation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolute, you know, uh-huh. flavorless. Um, you know, so it's it's nice to get into that world of of heads rolling and disembowelments and, and, you know, catacomb bound freaks chained and wailing <laughs> for freedom. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it, it's a lot more suited. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, um, it's a fun thing, man. You know, as an effects artist, you're always creating creatures and, and it's so much more rewarding and fun to create the world that the creature lives in now, you know? So, um, Man, I wish I could give you a lot more details, man. We we should definitely do a follow up uh, podcast yeah, together, uh, in like four or five months' time when I can give you little bits and pieces. But right mm-hmm. now, all I can tell you is that uh, people will be pleased. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I love the first movie, and uh, and it's it would be cool to see a you know a version of it. And uh, it is very it's very it's a very wild movie. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so, I, the, I totally uh, agree. <laughs> Yeah. So what were the movies that you watch as a kid that you specifically like creature stuff that you're like, well, this is what I want to do. I want to make these. 
Well, it was uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller was the first. Um, oh, nice. You know, I saw the behind the scenes with Rick Baker, and then that shit spun me as a kid, man. That was, you know, the realization. Because I'd all, I've, I've always been, I mean, I, I'd say obsessed with monsters, but it's more like uh, inhabited by monsters. It's, you know, I was... I was drawing monsters when I was like two years old with crayons, like before I'd ever seen a horror movie. My, my mom still has these drawings of like these sharp teeth, like creatures with multiple eyes and horns, like vomiting blood and like biting heads <laughs> off of my schoolmates. I'd have like a little arrow pointed that would say Kyle and Laney and, you know, this is Naya and, you know, all of my like preschool mates were headless. Um, and, uh, you know, so my, um, my preschool teacher would call my parents in and say, you guys really got to stop letting this kid watch horror movies. And my parents are like, we're not, we don't know what to do with him. Um, he, he's never seen a horror movie in his life. So yeah, we're going to look into medication. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, so I don't really know where it began or how or why, but it just did. And, um, you know, so I went from there into like, oddly enough, into the early Richard band, um, um, sort of world where, uh, you know, troll, uh, troll and ghoulies mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that and Beastmaster. And, you know, it, it's funny to realize how many names, uh, Charlie band has his name on. Sorry, I said Richard, but Charlie band has his name yeah. on like, like right here in my, in my office right now as a grown ass man with a company, like I'm looking at my dungeon master, uh, poster, you know, like, like the video <laughs> store poster, you know, that says now uh-huh. video cassette and laser disc, you know, like, and that's his movie, you know? Um, so, you know, band was, uh, a, a big influence on me in a lot of ways other than full moon. Um, but then, you know, I, I found American world from London and that just, that did it right there, man. And, uh, mm. then, you know, I, I've always been a little bit of the dark, you know, the dark comedy, type like my favorite movies are of course american wolf in london which is heavily comedy based um turn of the living dead and texas chainsaw Massacre. my favorite you know these are these are a creep show and you know these are the films that are my favorite you know yeah yeah see there's there's a certain aesthetic and and which is really bizarre because when i make films I want them to be absolutely as humorless and depraved as possible. Um, but, uh, uh-huh. because for some reason that shit makes me laugh, <laughs> uh-huh. which uh, uh-huh. also might speak to a need for medication. But, um, uh, all, all I know is that I enjoy seeing things die and finding humor in it somehow. And, uh, and so your mm-hmm. only option, you know, as a kid, if that's, you know, the conclusion you come to is either, you know, filmmaker or serial killer. So, you know, I definitely made the right choice. Yeah. I actually have the creep show uh, right here in my shelf and the original clam shell is the first uh, VHS tape my mom bought me as a kid. So my favorite movies. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, here, yeah. let, let's see what's sitting on top of my, my Blu-ray player right now. I'll give you a, a little behind the scenes into my world. Okay. So we've got dark man, uh, return right. of the living dead. Uh, the Lost Boys and uh, Mandy, both Blu-ray and DVD. So there you mm. go. That's my past few days of uh, of Blu-ray usage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always think, because I brought this up before on the show, is uh, for in my opinion the best uh, horror comedies. The horror has to work as horror too. You know, it can't be too uh, mm-hmm. like uh, schlocky. So 
because the horror is awesome in Turn Living Dead, and it's awesome in uh, in um, American World in London. I think I think that still holds up as the best transformation scene. Yeah, no, these are, you know, these are solidly scary films. You know, Creepshow mm-hmm. scared the shit out of me as a kid, but it also yeah. cracked me up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> and these are important things. You know, like. You know, it's fun, but then I, I found humor in things like Eraserhead, too, as a kid. Um, you know, so <laughs> when you see the little uh, the little sperm baby squiggling across the floor, I don't know why a, a four-year-old me found that hilarious. But, um, yeah, man, it's, you know, it, it's it, it's all about the viewer. It's all in the eye of the beholder and, and what we find funny and humorous and great, and you know. But that's the great thing about film, you know, is, is and, and that's also the great thing about making a film. I can't wait. To, to go sit in the theater for the screening of Castle Freak. I may even I may even grab a chair and put it up against the screen and face the audience and watch them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh-huh. it, it's more about like who screams and who laughs and, and the dichotomy of that and like watching expressions and you know, I don't know. That that's that's what addicts me to filmmaking the uh you know, just seeing how powerful it is and, and what you can do to someone, how you can manipulate and play with them and Man, one time I, I screened a film of mine called uh, The Devoured. It was a short film that, you know, um, really only saw the light of day in the festival circuit. But it was, it was uh, you know, starred Peter Green, who played uh, Dorian in The Mask, and, you know, Redfoot in The Usual Suspects. He was playing a cannibal uh, in an underground ring of uh, of high society cannibal dining weirdos uh, that would perform different, you know, procedures on each other. Um, and, uh, in, in one particular scene, um, it called the cleansing was this, this, uh, procedure that the guy wanted, basically a eunuching, uh, um, a wake eunuching. Uh, and then, you know, of course, hungry man, which is Peter Green's character would prepare the, uh, <laughs> would prepare the offering up with, you know, a little brown butter and some truffles and rosemary and, uh, as one does. Um, but the whole thing, uh, the whole eunuching aspect of the film it happens just below frame. I didn't show it. There was no gore. There was no blood. Uh, it was all sound design and reaction. And uh, I remember a guy passing out at the screening. Like, it was a, a standing room event. There was no chairs. So we were all kind of like at a concert, standing there watching it. And I remember this guy falling backwards and his friends having to catch him. And he could have swore that he, with his eyes, saw a dick get cut off. And, like, he was telling me how messed up it was and, like, why would I ever do that? And I'm like, my friend, I, I assure you, you did not see that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's, that's the great uh-huh. thing about film. It's, it's also like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. You know, people mm-hmm. talk about, you know, one of the goriest films of all time. I'm like, really, show me some blood. You know, show me. Where, where's, where's the intestine? Show me something gory. It's, it's mm-hmm. all the effect that the film creates on the viewer. And, you know, it's a powerful thing, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a totally different kind of movie. But even, like, uh, the first human centipede, a lot of people think it's so disgusting. But uh, the, now the later ones are very graphic. But the first one, there's, it's not really graphic at all. It's just kind of all in your head that uh, these horrible things are happening. <laughs> yeah, and then part two came along and, and right. made up right. and then it, it totally reverses it. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, man, I tell you what, I to me, the Human Centipede Part Two is a masterpiece, uh-huh. and uh, and I say that um, also thinking that the first one isn't great. You know, that's the really weird part, and that's what you know almost speaks even higher 
of part two is I'm not a giant fan of the first one. I mean, it's fun uh, for what it is. It has its, its, it has its thing, you know, uh, but part two, the way that it tapped into, I mean, it was just such a more honest story. You know, it's, it's like, this is the world we live in where there are weirdos out there that get obsessed with shit like this, you know, and can't define that line between reality and fantasy. That's literally the world we live in right now. And that's why that movie was scary. Whereas the first one was not. Mm. I'm a fan of both of them, but uh, I uh, second one is a great movie, and it's weird if you ever read the 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 Roger Ebert review of it, he says that like Tom Six found like a mentally handicapped guy and put him in the movie. So the first time when I was going to meet Lawrence Harvey, I was like, wow, I don't know if I want to meet this guy because you know <laughs> why would Roger Ebert make some? And you know he's like this very charming, well educated new English guy, and I was just like, I don't I don't know where Roger Ebert got this. But. <laughs> Lawrence Harvey is is like a Shakespearean trained actor. <laughs> they uh, they just choose to put him in his underwear and make him roll around and shit. You know that's uh-huh. that's, that's just where he ends up on camera for some reason. But the guy is like, it, it, yeah, no, it, it's that could not be Roger Ebert. No disrespect, bro, but you missed pretty big on that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that. Uh, I actually hosted a uh, it was um, they showed all three of the Human Centipede movies uh, in Syracuse. I hosted the event and I dressed as uh, Martin from uh, from Part Two. It's not the most uh, flattering <laughs> look, but but it, but I had a good time. Oh yeah, but also one you don't forget, I, dude. I I've been to ten thousand conventions and like I've seen mm-hmm. every good cosplay, every bad cosplay, and bar none, the best one I ever saw was. I saw this guy that had uh, a nude leotard, like a flesh-covered colored leotard, uh, uh-huh. with uh, with pierced nipples glued to the outside, and uh, and a little merkin between his legs, and he had the Buffalo Bill like wig cap <laughs> on and the scarf, and he was just like uh-huh. backwards walking <laughs> with his legs stuck together all over the convention uh-huh. floor, and uh, yeah, and like I mean, he wins convention forever with that costume. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Need like good five horses. You, like, that is the only color did, in the entire film. <laughs> I did not. I did not. But yeah, oh, come I, 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 I mentioned that to Lawrence. It's almost like, um, oh, now I forget the name of the movie. Oh, no, Schindler's List. <laughs> Schindler's List, right? And then uh, yeah, yeah, Lawrence yeah. had said that that was Tom Six's joke. Like on set, they called it Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. No, see, that's. Uh, <laughs> Such a great. Well, sorry guys, that would that's like the big spoiler is you see Brown in the end. Um, <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, it's worth the wait. Uh, yeah. Anyone that hasn't seen Human Centipede Part Two, Lawrence Harvey is an absolute animal in it. Um, you guys do yourself a favor and go check it out. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. They put out a color version recently. And while it does look cool, and it's cool to to see both versions, the uh, the uh, the black black and white one I think holds up. It's 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 uh, more interesting. Oh, that's I would I would hate to even see the other one because, you know, it was it was just such a statement to this this poor unfortunate person's reality was that that black and white monotone look, you know. So it was, uh, yeah. No, I I think I'll skip the color version. Plus, you know, the big brown reveal. You know, that's a that's a pretty powerful thing. <laughs> yeah, it takes away from that. Yeah, definitely. So, were you at any of the uh, at any of the festival uh, screenings for uh, Puppet Master? 
Yeah, I went to a few of them. Well, let me think. Where did I go? Uh, went to New Orleans uh, for the Overlook. Um, went to there was one in Oklahoma City. Um, there was back to the the festival stuff. I, I went to a few festival screenings of Puppet Master, and uh, it, it was always the same result. Um, you know, my favorite part. You have you seen the movie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it uh, when I was at Fright Fest in London, and then uh, I saw it again uh, on Shutter, and uh, I've seen it a few times now. Okay. Cool. I just didn't want to spoil anything, but all right. So yeah, the yeah. the pregnancy scene, um, the I the my favorite part about going to a screening of Puppet Master: The Littlest Right is the second that we the second that the camera. <laughs> tilts down and you see uh the fact that this woman is pregnant it takes like a two like a two count like two beats and then suddenly this groan happens across the audience in the room and, and dude we haven't done anything but shown a sleeping pregnant woman yet you know what i mean but everyone really? already knows and yes. and that that again is the power of cinema man like we haven't even done it yet, and they can't deal with it, you know. And 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 that's the you know, uh, oh my God, that that's that scene was so much fun to shoot. There's so many horror stories about you know the the behind the scenes of of pulling that moment off from the uh, you know building of a fake bed and how many people can we stuff in there to operate the the puppets and the the, the fake you know legs of the woman to. Um, holy shit, we need some amniotic fluid because the placenta just broke and, you know, obviously the baby would be moist. So what do we got? So let's run to craft service and it's taco day. And so we're like, okay, taco day. So we're looking at this queso and we're like, that queso, man, that queso could work. You know, a little bit of pigment, a little bit of blood, we can make that work. Um, you know, so we all high five and think, you know, we solved the problem of the year and then we have to get back on set under these cooking lights in a Texas summer in an air in in a hotel with no air conditioning, an abandoned hotel. So it's like 140 degrees in there, and we have to look down this baby hole uh, in in the center of a woman, <laughs> down to where we can see uh, my uh, my effects guys, my little puppeteer uh, buddies, um, down under this bed. So they're basically in an oven that smells like body odor, and they're baking. And uh, I have to tell them that we're going to start dumping queso in momentarily, so brace themselves. Um, and uh, I can't even tell you what the smell on that set was like. It was, to this day, my, my buddy Eric Zapata, who was our lead puppeteer, uh, can't be around queso. And it's really unfortunate because <laughs> he used to love it, but it makes him sick every time he's around it because of the smell. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it's a it's a fun little joke on set that the, go get the queso. Um, <laughs> if you're ever in need of some sort of slimy body fluid, usually queso can uh, do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like get the butter from um, from Last Tango in Paris, get the queso. <laughs> yeah, dude, you would be... I'm telling you, and, and see, I learned this from Tom Savini himself. Tom Savini specifically mm. told me, he was like, if you ever are like, if you're ever short, head straight to the craft service table. And at first I'm like, why, Tom? What do you mean? And he's like, do you know how many brains in Dawn of the Dead were like bagels from Crafty? 
you know, <laughs> masked up in like strawberry jam, you know, like things like that. You uh, you don't think about things like that. Like uh, half of the zombies might be made out of cornflakes and latex. You never know, you know. Um, uh, but that's the thing, craft service, man. You throw some uh, throw a granola bar and chomp it up, and you know some gummy worms and you know a few other things, some coffee grounds, shake it all up. You know, suddenly you have uh, some pretty gnarly shit that you can uh, throw on somebody. Yeah, it's funny you brought up Tom, Tom Savini because I actually thought of him when you said that because when I interviewed him, he said the fondest he ever had when ma- making movies was either when they didn't have like a big budget or before like he really knew how to m- make certain things before it became like a technique was just like thinking on your feet and, you know, finding weird ways to do whatever you were going to do. Oh, absolutely, man. You know, I, I do a lot of... uh I do a lot of Q and A's and stuff and, and, you know, speak, uh, to, uh, you know, makeup things. And, and, you know, one of the recurring questions is, you know, what do you look for in uh, an effects artist if you're hiring or crewing or, you know, what kind of, you know, abilities and stuff. And without fail, my answer always is abilities can be taught. I can show you how to do anything, but what you can teach somebody is how to troubleshoot and how to think on your feet. It's literally what Tom said. That's, that's the truth. You have to be, if you can think your way out of positions, I can teach you how to make a mold. You know, um, it's, it's that the common sense really is like, you know, the strongest weapon of, of a good effects artist, because, you know, if it can go wrong, it will, it will. It's very rare that you make it through a production where things are just, you know, going perfectly all the time. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the big, you know, the grand reveal of things is a lot of people don't realize how, you know, behind the scenes, how hard this stuff is. Um, you know, they watch face off and they think that it's, it's, <laughs> it's all, you know, hair dye and tattoos and, and, you know, holes in your jeans and looking cool as shit <laughs> while you make uh-huh. a monster. And it's like, dude, no, you, you don't look like that in the shop. You're wearing shitty old latex covered, you know, coveralls. Uh, and it's 110 degrees in your shop and, you know, you're four days behind schedule and, and a hundred thousand dollars over budget, you know, like that's the reality. Uh-huh. So it, it's, it's so funny, uh, watching kids come into my shop, like when I hire new people and, uh, and then they see this entire insane world of filmmaking and they're like, man, I didn't think, I didn't expect all this. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> most people don't. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, no, the I know you're right. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. Like, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go on. I'll ask you after. Oh, I was going to say the the funny part of it is, is is much like I'm sure this is sounding right now. You know, a constant stream of complaints. You know, like if, I, if I'm talking to my family or something about a project, I'm I generally sound like this, and uh, and you know, my mom or my dad will be like, "Why don't you quit? Why don't you do something else?" I'm like, "Are you crazy? I love this. What are you talking about?" <laughs> They're like, no, 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 it doesn't sound like you love it. Do you hear yourself? I'm like, ah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just talking about the, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. That's the, the crazy addictive thing about filmmaking. And you're making something that whether it's good or bad, it's, it's going to live forever. It's definitely going to live a lot longer than you are. So there's a, mm-hmm. a really cool sort of like legacy thing about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did you, uh, how did you get on face off? Um, well, I got lucky because I was season one, so there wasn't like some big audition process. It was just, uh, you know, they called up a handful of artists from New York and a handful of artists from L.A. that had, I guess, you know, they, they were able to, you know, hunt down or had made a name for themselves. I'd been working in New York for about five years at that point, and I had a shop on the Bowery uh you know, we were doing some pretty cool stuff. We were doing a lot of stuff for the History Channel at the time. Um, and 
so I, they called me and they were just like, Hey, do you, uh, are you into this concept? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. You know, getting to, you know, make, you know, industry standard shit on somebody else's dime. That's hell yeah. Sign me up. Uh, I don't care about the money or winning or anything. I just want to make 10 creature suits, you know, and not have to pay for it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I went into face off, you know, completely without expectation. I went into that. In fact, like, I went in there trying to learn um, because I didn't know a lot. You know, I'm for the most purposes self-taught. Um, you know, I took a few class, uh, like a semester's worth of classes at Tom's school uh, way back in the day. But um, you know, um, uh, sorry, uh, I started thinking about Tom and I forgot what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> uh, face off and how you how you got on. He said you you get on oh, there yeah. part of it uh, to learn to learn new stuff. Oh yeah, man. Sorry that 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 makes a lot of sense. Why I would have forgotten about that. That show traumatized me, so my brain instinctively tries to block it out. Um, <laughs> I, I this is and for any Face Off producers out there or any ex you know Face Off contestants that might be listening to this podcast, uh, I'd love for any of you that experienced the same symptoms uh, to call me and let's talk about this. But um, I, I still have nightmares. Still, man, um, that it's the final day and we're in the, in the lab and it's application day and everyone is gluing their pieces down. And I realized that I haven't even started my sculpture yet. And, um, it's this weird sort of like walking in quicksand reality of just like dread and terror of knowing that I'm going to fail miserably. And, uh, it, it's such a weird, like, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, at, at a certain point, you know, I, the goal became to win the money so I could afford the therapy that I knew I was going to need after the show. Um, and, uh, unfortunately I didn't win it. So, you know, I didn't get therapy. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I make horror films and kill people on camera. <laughs> right. So the, uh, I, I actually had a group of people on, uh, um, uh, makeup artists and uh they talked like uh, bad about people that were on face off like they i guess some people look down because they think of like a shortcut i guess or something did you uh experience yeah. any of that mm-hmm. well i mean i i heard about a lot of people experiencing that not me personally because i don't i don't live inside this industry i chose never to move to los angeles you know what i mean i never wanted to get into that rat race to just get into a building that had a title that legitimized me as an artist. You know, I always wanted to just do things myself. So I never had to encounter all of the, you know, the face off hate, although I heard a lot about it. Um, But, you know, um, listen, man, it's very simple. There's always going to be people that, that wish they had more charisma that don't. And they may be the most talented fuckers in the world, but if they can't do something other than just be talented, they're just going to sit there and be talented and silent and no one will ever see them. And, and you need to, you know, try and stimulate yourself to go a little further. But, you know, it's, that's ultimately what it comes down to, man. It's like, you know, it's just like a band or anything else, you know, like, you, you, you hear about this one hit wonder, they came out of nowhere, and then you find out that, you know, they've been a shitty punk band for 25 years. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there, there's nothing one hit wonder about these face off artists. Connor McCullough has been an industry giant for, you know, for 15 years. Like, you know, Gage Munster just got off of, you know, being the head of the nun, you know, like there's that, that's the thing. It's a lot of people just hate because there's something to hate about, man. And that's what's wrong mm-hmm. with, 
honestly our entire planet these days, you know, it's, it's, there, there's no more unity, especially in this industry, man. It's, it's, there's a lot of nut cutting and, and people look for reasons to point their finger and wag it at you. And it's just weird. This is the entire reason why I've chosen to do things my own way, my entire life. Everyone's like, you're an effects artist and you live in Oklahoma. I'm like, yeah, and it's awesome <laughs> because I don't have to deal with any of the politics or the drama or any of that. I just make monsters. I just make movies and I'm fucking happy as I can be. Yeah. That's very cool. I also do a, a wrestling podcast and, uh, people that were on the show tough enough get this. I, I kind of think it's the same kind of idea was it was a reality show where people, you know, train to be wrestlers and then they get noticed and other wrestlers would, uh, you know, knock them for that. Cause of like, they took uh they didn't pay their dues or whatever, but it was the uh, same kind of deal. Just kind of another way to get noticed. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, it's an opportunity, you know, and it's, it's right. listen, it's like uh, the, the, that's, it's the, the times that we live in. It's an opportunity that, you know, if people had had it, you know, 50 years ago, they would have taken it 50 years ago, but it wasn't there. And, you know, there's, there's all now, now these days, I feel like if face off came out today, like there wouldn't have been nearly that like internal industry hate because now the whole world is conditioned to fuck half of your friends being an ex reality star or coming off of some game show or something. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it, it's almost common. It's as common as being an Instagram model. Like, you know what I mean? Like literally everyone uh -huh. has been on a reality show at this point. So, uh, I feel like these days people get it. It's an opportunity. It's a chance for, for people that have a specific skill to get, you know, a better chance. Um, you know, I, I wish, you know, th that there was an opportunity like face off 20 years ago, because, you know, I would have become an effects artist when I was 15, not when I was 25, you know? Um, and, and that's the really cool part of this man is, you know, doing these conventions and traveling around. I see kids that are like 12 years old that have been watching face off their whole life. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And like, they're already sculpting and they're like, when I grow up, I'm going to get an Oscar. And like, and, and they're probably right. You know, I guarantee you I've met, uh, I guarantee you I've met a future Oscar winner and it, because of face off and it's because it stimulates it from, it, it gives them something to inspire to be, you know, it's like American Idol, man. There's kids that are coming out there to like six years old now that sound like Celine Dion. It's fucking insane. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and also on the, on the tip of like fighting, you know, I'm a huge MMA fan, uh, you know, 15 mm -hmm. years ago, you know, Chuck Liddell was the, exact is the example of you know the pinnacle of fighting and now because of like the ultimate fighter you know there's kids mm -hmm. that are 18 years old that have literally been fighting their entire lives and these are the really mm -hmm. scary guys like the guys that you can't get in a bar fight with because they'll kill you <laughs> you know right, but right. It, it's all evolution man it's, it's an opportunity to do something and uh i think everyone should always take opportunities like that and just shut up the the haters because there's always going to be plenty of those guys mm -hmm. yeah i've interviewed some of the guys from the early days of usc like ken shamrock and dan the b severin and you know back then it really was mixed martial arts like different people from different things but then it really became like people trained specifically for mma like that was it's that's its own style now exactly you know and that's you know that's the crazy thing it's it's now you have to be that well-rounded. You have to have mm -hmm. all of those elements of fighting. And, and, you know, and I, and I have to say, man, you know, the industry might've been a little missed for a while, but, um, <laughs> the next 10 years, uh, they're going to have some badasses coming in applying for jobs. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like I've seen, 
so many kids. And see, that's the thing. I did this. Uh, there's this uh, convention circuit called uh, Walker Stalker. It's it's mm-hmm. you know different people from The Walking Dead and uh, cast and crew and stuff like that. And uh, I did a couple of years with them, and um, I would see. I actually saw and met kids that would come in, and you know each time they show me their portfolio. The next year, show it to me again. And uh, I start following on on Instagram, and now some of these kids are like 18, 19 years old, and they're badasses. Like they have like seventy five hundred or, or ten thousand, you know, Instagram followers because they're really good. And all of that is because of Face Off and what Face Off did. So, um, yeah, again, not to go off on a super tangent, uh, it's just uh, it, it always bugged me those people, those those stupid Facebook trolls, man, that were, you know, really cutting into a lot of the Face Off people because. Man, it takes balls. It takes balls to get on a stage in front of Oscar-winning people who you know are there sure. to judge you and then also know that you're going to be on television to be mocked, you know? It takes balls mm-hmm. just to be there. Yeah. So uh, I just saw recently saw Dragged Across Concrete, and uh, not because I was going to interview I didn't know you had anything to do with it until uh, I was looking at your IMD page. Uh, what was that like to work on, and what, what stuff did you do? Oh, well, anything... Any and all things gore. That was uh, uh-huh. that was me, and that was my buddy uh, Ian, who I spoke about earlier. Um, <laughs> so you know, I, I don't want to give any spoilers. Um, sure. But uh, it was absolutely. Um, it, well, again, that's Zoller. That's the same writer. The 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 guy who wrote Puppet yeah. Master is is also the writer and director oh, of Dragon right. Concrete. I didn't realize um, that. I I love all his films, it, actually. So. Yeah, they have Brawl and Cell Block '99. Bone yeah, that's awesome. You know? Mm-hmm. He's a he's legit dude. He's a madman, um, but uh, you know we did we did all of the the gore and stuff on that film. Any anybody that dies or gets hurt or blown to bits, that's us. <laughs> yeah. When you work on like non genre stuff and or even you know I know that that's not a horror movie, but still is gore and stuff. But um um. Like when I know you did some stuff with like Saturday Night Live, uh, th- mm-hmm. do you get the same like uh, pleasure out of that, or like the what's the motivation when you're doing something like that? Um, you know, I mean, I only want to take jobs that give me something fun to do. You know, like I mean, I've cut off so many heads, I've slit so many throats. Like, like I mean, sure, it's it's still fun. And like, at that point, you're just kind of looking for something to gripe about, to be honest. It's always fun to go cut <laughs> right. someone's head off. To, <laughs> if I'm being right. um, but, uh, you, but the artist in you wants to be challenged, of course. And like, you know, so, you know, when, when dragged across concrete came my way, you know, well, first of all, just get to, to get to work with somebody like Mel Gibson or Vince Vaughn or, you know, Jimmy sure. Carpenter, yeah. Michael yeah. White, you know, Thomas Kretschmann, these are all, you know, amazing talents, man. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, there's that aspect. It's like, cool, I, you know, I, I really want to check out this, you know, sort of film. What's it like to work on this kind of film? But then also, uh, you know, when you remove that element of horror, uh, it binds you a, a lot more to reality as far as how you deliver your gore, you know. Um, you know, somebody gets shot in, and dragged across concrete, well, you know, I can't, you know, make their head explode like it's Kill Bill. You know, it has to be <laughs> right. rooted. You know what I'm saying? Has to be yeah. rooted in something real, and and that's also something that Zoller impressed on us. He was like, you know, when a face blows open, I don't want to see red. He was like, I want to see first. I want to see white and yellow and 
pale pastel pinks. I want to see iridescent purples. You know, um, he wanted to see anatomy. And uh, he didn't, in, in fact, there are times that we did some really gross stuff in that film and he didn't want blood at all. He, he was like, nope, no blood, no blood, just the wound, just the gag. Um, and uh, that's solid because he, he knows that the way, you know, blood is kind of like a veil. Blood is a, a movie tool to, you know, to sort of blind the audience from, you know, what things actually look like. You know, I don't know if you've ever been around like massive body trauma, like as it's happening on yourself or somebody else, but you don't bleed like you would think, you know, I've seen people like, you know, have their arms degloved, you know, like at the tricep uh -huh. down to the elbow. And, uh, there was little to no, I, I won't say no blood, but you saw all of the tissue, you saw all of the colors, like, and there was, you know, it, it was not what you expected when you see an arm turned inside out, you know, but the, the body only, it doesn't bleed like that, you know, so and if you're paying attention to real anatomy, uh, and then you have, you know, ninjas like Zoller come along that know what the human body is supposed to do. Uh, those are what makes things fun. You know, let's establish a new set of rules. Let's be authentic, you know. Let's, uh, let's make this look like a trip to the mortuary, not, you know, uh, a, a trip to, a, you know, some, some sort of horror film. It's, uh, so, um, yeah, anyway, Zoller was, was a fantastic person to work for, man. He's so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, uh, you know, so Littlest Reich is on Shudder. How important are, like, uh, the streaming sites for uh, uh, independent horror movies? Oh, man, they're, they're well, they're extremely important because they give they give the independent filmmaker the ability to get their work out there these days. You know, there was a, a long time when the internet, you know, it, it was a big question mark whether or not, you know, this is going to be good or bad for things like filmmaking and then the music mm -hmm. industry and things like that. And I, you know, I think that a lot of that is still being worked out on a big corporate level, but for the, for the small artist who, or the small filmmaker musician, who's just in search of a platform, uh, you know, streaming media is, it's a godsend, you know, like I'm not to date myself, <laughs> you know, but I, I started out in music before I found a film and, I was in a touring metal band for a long time. And, you know, we were right as the internet came out was when we were, you know, dealing with record labels and, and trying to build fan bases. And, and dude, I'm talking about like going to Kinko's and printing out quarter sheet flyers and walking up and down the street and passing them out. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like people don't understand like what they have these days, just with something like a YouTube channel. Um, you know, it's, it's such a fantastic option for artists to just get it out there, but, you know, just hopefully mm -hmm. kids don't take it for granted and they, uh, they utilize the fact that they can, you know, for not a lot of money, I mean, hell, you can shoot a movie on an iPhone these days and it looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, do you know if there's any plans to do any more, uh, in the, in that particular series of puppet master movies, like a sequel to the little strike? Yeah. Well, there's, <laughs> The, yes, there has been, oh man, I can't remember what I'm supposed to say and not supposed to say about that, but I can say <laughs> yes. right, there, there is, and, and I'll say this, I know I can say this because it's there, uh, there are clues as to what the next offering in this Puppet Master universe, there are clues in the animated title sequence. 
Mm, interesting. Yeah, so you guys Which... uh, go on a little Easter egg hunt and see uh, and see if you guys uh, can come up with some some theories. Feel free to uh, to send them to me at illwilled.com, and I'll tell you how terribly <laughs> wrong you all are. <laughs> That's very cool. I actually just saw there was uh, someone was sharing a, uh, a link that uh, title sequences becoming much more rare in movies, which uh, is disappointing to me. Man, it's one of the best. I mean, what what do you remember when you think about you know the TV show Tales from the Crypt? Oh, exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the you know, yeah. That's exactly Tales from the Dark Side. You know, like I mean, these are. These are the things that are ingrained in us that this generation, man, that this generation, man, they got to get right to the action scene. You know what I mean? Or they lose interest. It's stupid. Um, you know, it's the whole, the Michael Bay syndrome, man. Like if I give kids epilepsy at a young age, then they will settle for nothing less than epileptic films, you know? Um, <laughs> so it's, you, <laughs> there are guys like us that would sit there and watch a 30 second title sequence because it looked sure. cool and it had cool music. You know, and, yeah. and that's definitely the school of thought that I'm trying to bring back with in, in Castle Freak. And, and I know that it's the entire spirit that Fangoria Films and Sinistate are trying to bring back is that time when you're flipping through the channels at one o'clock in the morning and you hit that UHF dial and you get a, some random weird, you know, art house horror film. And, uh, you know, I remember that's how I found the Warriors and, and shit like that. Mm -hmm. You know, watching the Warriors when you're a kid on TV, it's a feeling that you don't get anymore with movies, man. It's, it's, you're, yeah. you feel like you're just digesting a product and then on to the next. And, you know, we're trying to put a little soul back in it, man. A little reason, uh, for, for all of the efforts that we're putting into making these films. Yeah. It reminds me of my web, my webmaster Tyler is always yelling at me for, playing the whole theme song at the beginning of the podcast or playing like a 30 second clip of it on my videos. He's like, you gotta have like eight <laughs> seconds to get right into it. I'm like, uh, I kind of like oh, the theme man. song. But... <laughs> now con consider it so, a, uh, con consider it like a, a barometer for assholes. Like if you, uh, well, here's an example. I went, the, are you familiar with a band called Mr. Bungle? Yes. Yes, I am actually. Yeah. My, uh, yeah, a friend my of mine was, uh, interesting to me too. Yeah. I went to a, to a Mr. Bungle show uh, in, in, uh, in, I think it was Connecticut, um, like 15 years ago. And um, so the band comes out on stage, and, uh, and Trey, the guitarist, uh, kicks his amp on and then flips the guitar around and leans it against the amplifier until the feedback just takes over the PA system and starts reverberating and echoing in this hall. And then the band walks off stage, and they leave. And they left that feedback going, I shit you not, for like 15 minutes. It cleared out half the room. They came back, <laughs> and they took their instruments and put them on, and they said, this is for you, and they played their set. It was for the fans that stayed around. It was for the right fans, and that's the whole point, man. If you, if you want your theme song to be, you know, 45 seconds, you play a 45-second theme song, man, because the people that are left at the end of that, they're the right people. <laughs> you know, brilliance isn't meant for everyone, man. Uh huh. Uh, so I have to ask you a question here from Seb Godin, who's a, a friend of mine, and he makes really uh, cool uh, monster movies himself in Canada. Nice. Um, and he wants to know uh, which puppet was the most fun to redesign. And he's a big, big fan of the movie, by the way. 
let's see. Oh, cool. Well, thank you. And um, let's see. I would have to say the most, uh, to, to stay literal to the question, the most fun to redesign uh, would have been Tundler. Um, because even as a kid, actually, no, I take that back. Because, you know, Tunnel, I did like Tunnler as a kid. I guess I'll say Pinhead. Because definitely as a kid, Pinhead, I felt, um, I thought that the hands were too big, even though that was his whole thing. I remember as a kid thinking that the head and the hand ratio is, is I would do something different. And that was the coolest part of doing this is as a kid, I actually did have these thoughts because I was a little artist. I was always sculpting and making things and anyway as a kid. And uh, I was able to actually do something about those thoughts that I had as a kid later in life. And I redesigned Pinhead and then changed the hand-to-head ratio. Uh, you know, obviously his hands are still giant, but they're not human-sized hands with, like, a thumb-sized head. Um, so you, you, just little, you know, little aspects like that. And, and again, that's, you know, not talking shit on anyone else's designs sure. or, the you know, these iconic characters. It was just, you know, purely a, a taste standpoint. You know, what would I do? The same as... You know, the same as, as redesigning um, Tunneler. You know, his face uh, always had this sort of grin to it. Uh, and and I thought stoic would be scarier. Now, obviously, any little fucking puppet running at you across the floor is going to be terrifying. Um, uh-huh. But, um, you know, if it was just staring at me emotionless, I feel like it would get like a literal like high pitched shriek out of me, you know, instead of just a normal scream, you know, it would, it would feel like (laughs) Uh it was going to do worse to me once it finally got here. So, uh, I went into that idea, you know, making all of the puppets much more stoic, uh, in their facial expression. Yeah. You mentioned that toy toys, cause I've watched horror movies since I was a little kid and not to be tough guy, but they usually don't scare me. But the things that have scared me usually like toys in movies, and I think it's because I always have a lot of action figures. But in your opinion, why? Do, what, what is it about like small monsters or creatures or toys that that make the that are scary? Well, I think you nailed it on the head. It's there are things that we 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 as children become accustomed to being. Or there's eyes on us at all mm-hmm. times. We're surrounded by dozens and dozens of little eyeballed figures looking at us. You know what I mean? And, like, you just, you got to pray that they don't all just all of a sudden stand up and start staring at you, you know, in the middle of the night. And, you know, so I think that the the very root concept of that, you know, it's like I remember when I was a kid, you know, watching. It's so funny, man. And, again, speaking to the power of the lens of cinema, like, all you got to do is put something in a frame and it becomes scary because you can look in your room at a wall full of toys and it doesn't freak you out. But then you look at the scene in Poltergeist where those clown dolls yes. are sitting against the wall, and you know some shit's <laughs> about to go down. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, there's something, I don't know what it is, man. It's, it's almost, you know, like the human, the human psyche knows, like, that which is supposed to be, you know, harmless. Mm-hmm. When you put it into a horror, you know, a horror setting, that's probably going to be the shit that comes and gets you. You know what I mean? So the the more benign the product, the, the the more benign the subject, the the more chances it is that that's what's actually going to be stabbing you by the end of the film. Yeah, because I always thought the scariest trailer ever is magic. It's just like about ten seconds long. It's oh. the the uh, the ventriloquist dummy tells doing the little. Uh, oh yeah, 
The little poem. With Anthony Hopkins. Oh yeah. Yeah. That stuff yeah. twisted me as that a kid, man. I, I remember uh, being afraid of that trailer when I was a kid. I, I was too. I mentioned on the show many times. And we had we had a, a, a ventriloquist dummy. It was like, uh, I forget the name of Oscar. Not Oscar. But anyway, we used to be able to send for it like in the comic books. And uh, my brother is older, so he would like, tease me with it because he knew the uh, the trailer freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, understood why, man. Uh, that that one did something to me as well. Um, you know, there's there's several images that are burned into my head. You know, movies that I shouldn't have seen when I was a kid. That's definitely uh, one of uh, them. You know, the 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 scene where the monkeys are attacking the elephant man. Uh, that's mm-hmm. another one that I shouldn't have seen as a kid. That uh. <laughs> That one stuck with me bad. <laughs> that one got me. Um, yeah. But I think that the, the, the biggest, the biggest scar that I had was was Zelda from Pet Cemetery. Oh, oh my God! I yeah, I just mentioned this on my Facebook. I I still think that's one of the scariest images in in, a, in any movie. Man, and it's the only time that I've got up and said nope, and and literally run out <laughs> of a movie theater. I I. My my dad was chasing me. Say, come back. And I'm like, no, dad, no, 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 no. And it, it was years before I figured out. It's a part of the reason that's so damn creepy is because there's something wrong and you know it. And and mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it's because it's a male actor playing the female uh-huh. Zelda. It's mm-hmm. for years I didn't realize that it was it was a male talent playing that character. And mm-hmm. then you start to notice like all of these cool, you know, sort of, you, you know, like the, those, how creepy those are, like Meg Mucklebones uh, in Legend. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, that was, you know, the big green witch in the swamp that was uh, yeah. trying to eat yeah. Cruz. Like, you know, that mm-hmm. witch was performed by a man, and that, and that was also a character that just, nope, couldn't take it when I was a kid. Too much, <laughs> too much. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so yeah, Zelda, man, she's, um, in fact, I'm going to go see the. Have you seen the new uh, Pet Cemetery yet? I haven't. I'm actually going to go see it tomorrow. Yeah, same. I will too. So uh, we'll do a follow up. Whether it's good or not. I know some people, it's like you either have to like one or the other. I'm not like them. And you could, if I like a new one, doesn't mean I, I don't like the, the first one for some reason. Exactly. But the, uh, the first Pet Cemetery is like. Uh, one of my favorite uh, King horror adaptations. I think it's, uh, I think it's it's great on like every level. It has like this dread throughout the whole movie. Everyone seems like cursed, and uh, it's great performances by everybody. So I don't know. Even if it does a top that, it still could be good. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. The original Pet Cemetery, I watched it like once a day for like more uh, more than a year. You know, it was one of my like three VH most used VHS tapes, you know? Um, and, and yeah, again, to all of the people that tell you, you have to do this or you have to do that. that's just ridiculous. And it's a cinema. We can like how, whatever we want. <laughs> I can like all of the Dracula movies. I can like Christopher Lee and Bella Lugosi. You know what I mean? Right. There's, there's no, uh, there's no choices. It's a, it's, it's all for horror fans, you know? And, uh, the the sooner that uh, people start realizing that the the sooner we can get back to making cool monster movies. Yeah, yeah, because I like I I like both versions of it. I I like the new one, but I still Same. like the uh the the miniseries. So they're different. Same. But uh, well, the, there's the cool actually thing some things about the first one I like better, and and vice versa. You know, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the thing is like 
I, I think people are, are finally starting to hone in on the, and I promise this isn't, you know, uh, I'm not setting the stage because I'm about to reboot Castle Freak, but <laughs> I, I think people are, are finally starting to hone in on why would you do a reboot? Like, what's the reason? And And generally the reason is I think if there were unexplored opportunities, you know, then sure, you know, let, let, let's see the, the, let's see the concept through a new lens, uh, you know, but then there are films that genuinely just do need to be left alone. You know, there's a lot of perfect films out there. Like I really don't understand why John Landis's son is remaking America yeah. world in London, his father's film. Uh-huh. Like, like, you know what, why don't you just make a sequel? That's badass instead sure. of the sequel yeah. that you made that sucks. Um, right. you know, like there, there's no reason that you have to go renaming characters and, you know, are reestablishing new people to play old, you know, it's, I just don't get it, but, um, you know, peace their own. I suppose that makes me a hypocrite cause I'm about to reboot Castle Creek, but <laughs> <laughs> right, right. no, I agree with you. Cause, uh, I mean, there's a lot of remakes I like, but then there are, there are movies that like you think like, uh, you know, this it just doesn't need remake. I did think that about Suspiria, but I actually really liked the remake of Suspiria. So, but I, going I haven't in, I was seen like, it I don't, yet, but I, I heard I, it was fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. It was one of my favorite movies of last year. I thought it was awesome. But beforehand, I was like, it's you know, it's not really about the plot. It's about like the atmosphere. So why would you remake it? But you know, they did something uh, different with it, and I loved it. Well, well, see, that's the thing, man. It's it's almost like it's like it's like a band covering a song. You know, you, you get your, you get the option to, you know, to obviously, you know, pay respects to what was your inspiration, but this is the way I see it. This is the way I would do it. This is the way I would make it look, you know, it's, it's, you know, everything is a canvas, man. Everything is art and, and, you know, cinema is no different. Um, it's just, you know, like if you're going to do it, do it for the right reasons, you know, like, you know, I don't think Ninja Turtles should have nostrils. That's just me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I don't. I don't think that they should be the size of freaking cars. But that's just me. You know, uh, I'm thinking of practical things like how the fuck do they fit through the super cap in the in the street? But you know, that's just me. Um, uh-huh. You know, every, everybody everybody has their inspiration and their reasons for why they do it. But you know, that's the great thing about art, man. Is it's art with or without us. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I'm. I mean, like I said about it, I really like the new Pennywise, but it doesn't mean like I don't like the Tim Curry Pennywise. They're just a different take on it. Uh, I can't really say oh, one or the other. I think they're both wild. I think a perfect example is, uh, have you seen the new trailer for The Joker? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, my I'm God, man. Like, I, I mean, how how lucky are we that we've gotten to see all of these incarnations of that character and, like, like, man, I, I, I have a feeling that Joaquin is, this, he, this is like Oscar shit for him. Um, I have a feeling that this is going to be the film that takes comic book oriented concepts and, and shows the world how you can treat them r- realistically. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that, you know, the, the Batman series has done it to a degree. I mean, it's still very comic booky, you know, it's still very much suspend, you know, all elements of disbelief. Um, but there, there are so many grimy, dirty stories in comics and the Jokers is one of them, especially the killing joke that to see them coming at it from that sort of, you know, King of comedy, like taxi driver 
Martin Scorsese sort of lens, man, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Because, I mean, fundamentally, man, all comic book stories are founded in some sort of tragedy. You know, there's never some silver spoon superhero like, I was a rich kid and I never had any problems. <laughs> now I'm trying to fight for good. No, dude. It's like they're all built on tragedy. And that's so terribly underexplored, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to see where Joaquin goes with this, man. I feel like he's going to go like full Nicolas Cage drinking vodka in Mandy on this, you know? <laughs> yeah. All the yeah. dedication. Yeah, it looks amazing. <laughs> it was, it, oh, when I me. just saw the. When I just saw. Of like the stills before the screener came out, I was like, "Wow, this looks really good." I know it's just a still, but what can you really get from a still? But it looked. And then when I saw the trailer, I was like, "Oh yeah, this looks amazing." Well, that's Joaquin, man. Joaquin. There are certain yeah. talents out there that can make you feel something, in 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 a frozen static frame. You know, he's that guy. Like he he does little things with his lips and eyebrows and you know just blinks and like, he has so many like subtleties about his performances. Like, man, that, he's a master of this craft. And, and honestly, we're super lucky to have him in this role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, where can you, f- I know you mentioned, I think you mentioned your website early, but where, where's the best place for people to follow you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm terribly uninterested in social media, uh, All right. So, <laughs> but I mean, it is out there and, and I do use it time to time, you know, I'll throw some pictures up of some stuff I'm working on. Uh, definitely there will be, um, definitely there will be some stuff, you know, once uh, Castle Free gets rocking, uh, you know, there'll be plenty of like news and information uh, on Instagram, which is just Tate Steinzik. Uh, Twitter at IllWilledFX. Uh, but the primary way to see me and my work and what's going on, that's illwilled.com. It's I-L-L-W-I-L-L-E-D.com. Very, very cool. Well, I loved having you here. It was a great time. It was, I had a great time talking with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was fun, man. Uh, we, uh, we talked about uh, a lot of things that I don't normally get to talk about uh, when being um, interviewed. So, yeah, I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Cool. And hope people check out uh, Puppet Master Littlest Reich. It's on Shudder. And uh, is there is it uh, on Blu-ray and DVD yet? Yeah, yeah, you can get it at Walmart, man. A puppet master oh, wow. time now. Oh, very cool. So you can get it anywhere. <laughs> so get out, get well, out. Yeah, Amazon. Get out. You can go to Walmart. Uh, there's some really great behind the scenes uh, on the Blu-ray uh, where you can watch us in the in the uh, in the makeup and effects world, uh, doing our best to, to kill people properly for all of you. <laughs> very good. And I'm glad that you brought up cutting heads off a lot because it really fits in with the station of decapitation. <laughs> hey, man, I, I promise it wasn't intentional, but see, everything works out, man. But we're all friends, blood. Uh, very good. And well, I'll definitely have you back for uh, when Castle Freak's uh, about to come out or is out or, or when we could talk about it more. Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's. Uh... You know, there's there's some stuff coming up, and, and uh, there, there's going to be some information dropping soon. So uh, feel free to circle back with me anytime. I had a really good time speaking with you. All right. Very cool. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Yeah, take care, buddy. You too. Bye. Bye.